It is episode number eight of the Hit By Podcast, Wednesday, September 22nd, 2021. Baseball just keeps on getting more and more interesting by the day. All of a sudden, St. Louis Cardinals have caught fire 11 wins in a row, beating Milwaukee on the road. We'll break it down for you. The White Sox, on the other hand, we might be getting close to panic button territory. Still have not clinched at the time of recording. We'll discuss that. Padres, little clubhouse drama. And then down in Tampa Bay, we've got drama between two teams, sign stealing or just competitive advantage. We'll get to that. More AL East drama. Seems like everybody wants to make the playoffs except the Orioles. And then just maybe maybe a little bit of, of Chicago Cubs talk. Lucas, it's going to be a fun discussion. Maybe not about the White Sox, though. Yeah, no, other than the the slumping socks, I think this is going to be the best best episode of the year. Definitely got a lot of good things to talk about. This is episode eight, the Hit by Podcast. I pride myself and think of myself as a, a man of faith. Because there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. We're at the peak of September baseball right now. It feels like every storyline that we've been talking about the past few episodes is kind of climaxing right now. Um, absolutely in the middle of the best time of the season. What can you say on the past week and kind of what it's um, done for the shape of baseball, you know, moving into October now? How's kind of the how the games have played out, you know, shaped the season moving forward? Well, you know, generally, I would say, I mean, it's been a great month for baseball, right? You've got a lot of big market teams doing well. You've got some small market teams doing well. You've got a lot of great stories. This is kind of September baseball at its finest, right? This is what Rob Manfred, uh, probably not even Rob Manfred, it was Bud Selig who instituted the second wild card. This is probably exactly what he was picturing when him and his buddies drew up that idea because you've got three teams in the AL East vying for a wild card and in the National League, You've got the Dodgers and the Giants battling to make sure that one of those teams doesn't have to play in that NL wild card game. Uh, and then, of course, you've got the St. Louis Cardinals, who all of a sudden are the hottest team on the planet. And I would not want to play them in a one game wild card playoff. And without that second wild card spot, they wouldn't be anywhere close to a playoff spot as the Dodgers are 15 games ahead of the Cardinals but it could all come crashing down for them in a one game playoff. So all things considered, baseball's great. Baseball's great, Larry. Baseball's we're great. Two minutes, we're 2 minutes in and I think I've already had some sort of an some sort of epitome. I think I'm realizing now that this is like probably the best time of the year. Like maybe today. Yeah. Like today o'clock is like it right now because the weather's been great. Personally, I believe we're going from the the 90s kind of to start the the school year is kind of how I base my my time events off of coming into the school year real hot, walking to classes, not the best. White Sox weren't playing the best ball, you know, still a little banged up. Bears season hadn't started. Now, look where we are now, Larry. Baseball is just other than White Sox baseball, I guess. Like you just said, I mean, it's the best time of the year for the season. Justin Fields is starting. Yes, yes. Oh, we had to sneak that in there. Yeah, Come I mean, it now. just adds to it. It's just a great time to to be a 
sports fan. Um, I don't know, man. I'm just I'm just so happy with with how things are right now because the White Sox they're kind of on different ends. White Sox we've known that they're gonna be good and they're playing like shit. And the Bears, on the other hand, we've kind of assumed they weren't going to be the best, but now we've got Justin Fields week three. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm we're, to Bears, we're totally not out ahead of the Bears or anything. Uh, we're not we're not overreacting to a win over the Cincinnati Bengals or anything like that. Definitely not. Yeah, um, I, but I, yeah. Did have to, I did have to clear my tab searching for hotels in Los Angeles in February before this. But <laughs> but yeah, we're totally not jumping ahead or anything. Let's no. get right into it now, Larry. Like we talked about, the Cardinals are just insane. Won 11 in a row, playing against good teams too. Um, what is it about the team that they hadn't really shown that they were capable of a hot streak like this um, throughout the course of the season? I think maybe beginning of the year, we all knew they had the talent. Um, Goldschmidt and Arenado on your corners. That's, you know, you can't ask for much better than that. Um, they had real good pitching. We thought, you know, Flaherty was banged up. Uh, for a majority of the year, I'd say. Um, and it just kind of looked like they were underperforming the whole time. Now we see, you know, for the most part, they're healthy again. They're playing the best baseball um, out of anyone in these past two weeks. What is it that's changed? That's a great question. And I wish I could tell you, you know, some sort of squirrel or, or rally animal that crawled across Bush Stadium surfaced. I really have no idea. It's just a team that is putting it all together at the right time. John Lester, a guy they acquired at the deadline, who started the second half of the season, or at least this, the half of the season with the Cardinals, very poorly, is starting to pitch really well. You mentioned Flaherty. He's back on the IL. Carlos Martinez has been on the IL for a very long time. But the pieces are falling into place at the right time, and it's just one of those Cardinals things. I feel like we say it every single episode. Mm -hmm. They find a way to turn it on when they need to. And they've got guys like Arenado, like Goldschmidt, uh, Paul DeYoung, Tommy Edmond. Tyler O'Neill's been playing great all season long, all things considered. But everybody's playing great, and it's one of those special times in baseball that does not come often where everybody's synced up. Everybody's hot all at once. And the Cardinals are just a buzzsaw. And if you sit down and watch one of their games – they jump all over the other team's pitching in the first inning. I, I think it's been three or four games in a row where they've scored in the first inning. And uh, I know from watching collegiate summer baseball all summer long, if you allow runs in the first inning, you know, that can really screw up the rest of your game. And like you said, they've not been doing it against, you know, bottom dwellers. Three against San Diego. Now three against Milwaukee, three at New York. I mean, that is that is legit. I, I think it's going to be a test for them this weekend because you've got a doubleheader in Chicago at Wrigley Field. That's going to be tough. However, it's, it's the Cardinals' devil magic. Uh, I don't know how else to put it. Yeah, no, I'm looking at their, their starting nine here. I mean, this is a team where if they're all playing at their best, absolutely one of the scariest lineups. I mean – Dylan Carlson, Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill, all kind of similar in that really hyped up. Maybe not O'Neill as much as the other two, but Harrison Bader, Dylan Carlson, both really high prospects. Um, Carlson so far hasn't been the best hitter, batting 257, uh, OPS plus of 108, so still above average. Um, 
Tyler O'Neill, though, I think maybe my favorite player on that team. I just feel like if he's hitting well, then, you know, that team's probably not losing. He's, he's, uh, he's got an OPS plus of 142 on the year. They're, you know, best hitter from that standpoint ahead uh, of Goldschmidt, which, you know, you wouldn't think coming into the year, but he hits tanks. He's a good athletic fielder, too. Um, they've got the veterans kind of like San Fran, where if everyone else is, is playing pretty well, you kind of have those anchors on your team where you know that they're probably going to perform to a certain standard. And if they're not, they're still helping the other guys out and still helping your team win, even if they're not, you know, going three for four at the plate that night. Um, and that, you know, that kind of has me thinking though, what are the odds that they could actually take this into the postseason? Like, yeah, they're, they're going on this September hot streak. They still were not the greatest team throughout the majority of the year in a really bad NL central um, were considered favorites by a lot of people to win that division and just kind of, you know, didn't perform to that level. So is it realistic to think that they could play uh, San Fran on the road? Keep in mind, they're going to come in as the second wild card and not be not have any sort of home field advantage. And I just don't think that that's realistic that they win a series like that. A wild card game, absolutely. But a seven game series or, you know, even a five game series. I don't know. I don't know, man. I, I just all I know is I I've seen this movie too many times and I'm, I'm not really a gambling man, but I'm not going to gamble against the Cardinals when I put a few bets down on playoff baseball, just because they've been there before. You mentioned like the veterans, Yadier Molina and the MVP of this team, in my opinion, Adam Wainwright, we mentioned the injuries to the pitching rotation. This team would not be remotely near contention without Adam Wainwright in his age 39 season, 289 ERA. That's ace stuff. That's ace caliber. Sure, it's not, you know, 2.01 or 1.98, but 2.89 with a good lineup is enough to win you a lot of ball games. Adam Weinwright might win 20 games on this Cardinals team, which is really, really hard for me to believe. Not on one end, it's hard for me to believe because he's old. Right. On the other hand, it's not hard for me to believe because he's been so good for so long. And that's the thing. You get those former aces. They can always pitch like former aces. That's a baseball altruism that definitely sticks in my mind. Another thing with St. Louis, you bring up Tyler O'Neill, Harrison Bader, those guys. This is completely anecdotal. When I think St. Louis Cardinals, and there's like a picture, if I have to like think of a headshot of a player, I'm thinking like Tyler O'Neill. I mean, you just look at the guy and you think, oh, yeah, he definitely played for the Cardinals. It's just like Jim Edmonds, you know, your yeah. stereotypical, like, you know, got a little stubble going, you know, looks good in the, the STL red cap, you know, you know, so to speak, gritty white guy. You know, I always had one that of those about Colton Wong. I thought before he left, I thought that's a Cardinal. I just, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Kind of Colton similar. Wong gritty, was a good Cardinal. Good guy hitter. Molina might be, yeah. you know, one Cardinals. of the greatest Cardinals of all time. Right. It's just those dudes, right? Nothing flashy. It's it's the whole stereotypical, like, Cardinal way thing, which everybody's going to start talking about again in October. I'm not ready for it, man. I'm really not. I'm already hearing it. It's just, uh, it's it's a lot. It's a lot to handle. 
Yeah. What would really kill me is if the Cardinals um, really don't play well, are not in talks about being serious contenders, come in, sneak in like, you know, they've obviously done to this point and then end up going farther than my White Sox. I think that would maybe that would put them immediately like top five on my hate list of MLB teams. Not because of, you know, Welcome to the club. Yeah, right. They're already there in the and the Cubs fan side. They've been there for forever. But like just kind of how the season's gone, I can see it. These two lines are converging at a point where the White Sox are heading downhill and the Cardinals are are their stocks rising. And you know, once those points cross, if it's in the playoffs, not those teams, you know, facing each other, obviously, but those so to speak lines. If the Cardinals, you know, make it farther, then I don't know what my confidence level for the Sox going into the following year could possibly be like if they just don't show anything. And, you know, right now they're kind of in that stage where it looks like they may just fizzle out heading into the postseason Um, four and six in their last 10 playing sub 500 baseball since the all-star break. It's not been good for the White Sox. Um, And we really thought it would be, you know, I just remember being on this in this exact same position, talking to you about this a couple of weeks ago, saying, you know, they really need to show something in these next few weeks. They're not playing the best teams. And here we are two weeks later. It hasn't happened. They've, they've given me nothing to feel excited about. They've shown us something. All right. And it's not good. No, <laughs> it's, it's not good. If I'm the white Sox fan, if I'm a white Sox fan right now, which all for all intents and purposes, I am. I don't know if I'm pressing the panic button yet. I mean, 10 and a half games up on Cleveland, you know, you're not going to lose the division, knock on wood, barring, you know, arguably the worst collapse of all time. I'm not pressing the panic button yet, but I'm I'm starting to lift the glass, you know, mm-hmm. starting to lift the glass, start to think about it because I can't help but think what's going on, right? The White Sox are having – like a June swoon in September <laughs> that just cannot happen. And again, you've got Tony LaRusso at the helm. He's seen all the shit that there is to see in the game of baseball. He knows how to get the job done. Assuming he remembers. However, I don't know. It just seems like their luck's starting to run out. And I'm not saying that they've gotten to this point because they're lucky. A lot of Mm -hmm. talent on that team. They are blatantly underperforming right now, and pitching is the problem in my eyes. Mm -hmm. Starting pitching. I mean, you're telling me you're going to put Dallas Keuchel out there in the playoff series right now? He had a great season last year, and he's always performed well in the playoffs, but I would not be confident in Dallas Keuchel taking the ball. Right now, I think he's on the outside looking in in terms of playoff rotation, but if somebody gets injured, if Giolito pulls his hamstring again, who are you handing the ball to? Dallas Keuchel, right? Probably <laughs> Reynaldo Lopez. Yeah. I'm, I mean, who you have in start game three of a five game series. If you would have told me, if you would ask me that same thing last year and told me that I would have to actually seriously put thought into that, yeah, I would have, you know, been completely surprised, but Reynaldo has been the better pitcher. And those are, I think the two that it may come down to too. You said that um, Reynaldo is going to pitch tomorrow. And I honestly think that if he puts out a good outing, uh, he'll probably pitch one more time, depending on health of our starters, because that's that's been another issue too. Rodon um, not being 100% healthy after his start, 
from coming back from not being 100% healthy. Um, you know, Lynn, obviously spending some time on the IL, it's going to come down, well, maybe not come down to, but that last spot in that playoff rotation is so important because, you know, Keuchel has not gone out there once and had a good outing or even a good inning, it seems like. Like the first inning of all, like his past five or six starts, it seems like um, runners on immediately, pressure on immediately. He's not getting ahead. And then the Sox are then playing from behind, um, you know, the rest of the game. It's it's hard for the team to get behind that when it seems like every single time you go out, you're, you know, playing from behind. So I honestly put my faith more in Reynaldo. He's spoken about his confidence in his pitches this year and about how he's feeling better. Um, like literally seeing his pitches and viewing the plate. Uh, he said it has just helped him and it's shown in the numbers. And, you know, again, two lines that are going in opposite directions. So um, I think they'll, they would both have short leashes. Um, at least I would hope. And I honestly don't know how much Dallas is, you know, veteran presence, obviously in the locker room, but what does that translate to on the mound if you're going out and just putting us at a disadvantage? Um, and about the panic mode, I know you talked about um, La Russa too, which I think is funny because this morning I was thinking panic, panic, panic. And honestly, to this, in this moment right now, still for the most part thinking panic. And the only thing that's kind of given me uh, a glimmer of hope was, of course, I saw a tweet and it was about La Russa and him being on both ends of the spectrum. So in 2011, um, when they won the World Series with the Cardinals, that was kind of how we see the Cardinals performing this year right now. Super hot at the end of the year, like the hottest team rolling in, sneaks into the playoffs, goes on and wins the World Series. Um, 2006, had the best record at the All-Star break, you know, one of the best teams, kind of similar to the White Sox this year, six games below 500 in the second half, did poor in September, go on to win the World Series. So that's definitely one of the more, more one of those things where you like to think that there's some correlation between those two stats and, you know, your team now, but there's definitely no chance that that means anything, but it does obviously for a, a sorrowful White Sox fan, give me a little bit of hope there. Well, you know, in my eyes, what that says is that anything can happen. You know, you get in, anything can happen. I, I bring this example up so much. You put the Orioles in a wild card spot. You know, they advance maybe two times out of 10 or one times out of 10. You never know. You never know what could happen. And we know the White Sox are talented, but just, oh, it's been bad. It's been bad since the All-Star break. I mean, this, you look at the lineup. It's stacked with talent. It's, I really do think the bats are going to get going once everybody's kind of fully healthy. And Anderson's off the IL, obviously, and a lot of these guys are, are off the IL. Um, but it's all about heating up at the right time. Mm -hmm. But like you said, playing from behind is so dejecting. There's definitely a, a mental aspect to it. I'm not entirely sure if there's numbers behind it or if there's a way to quantify that, but I'm sure any sabermetrician would tell you the team that scores first wins more games than the team that doesn't score first. That's just how things go. And, you know, looking at the numbers for the White Sox starting rotation, you got Giolito, who looked really good in the first half. And now is ERA, 3 7 That's your ace. Is that who you're 
here, I'll, I'll pose this question to you. Game one of the ALDS. Who are you handing the baseball? Lance Lynn. Fair enough. I think, I think Lance Lynn, um, probably lowest floor or highest floor. Like, I think he won't give – he's got the lowest chance of really shit in the bed. Um, and I think he's just that workhorse that could really, um, you know, go seven innings, help our bullpen out, and set up, you know, that series uh, better. So that's – yeah, Lance Lynn, I would say. I would probably agree with that. And then it comes to game two. I think game two is the bigger question. Rodon's been good when he's been healthy. But again, now he's having arm problems. Like he has his whole entire career, which is so frustrating because it really seemed like he was starting to, to put it all together. He's off the IL right now. But you never know, especially in colder weather. It's always tougher to get warmed up, get stretched out, and go deeper into games. So you start to rely a little bit more on the bullpen, especially if, Giolito struggling. If Rodon looks shaky through four innings, then you hand the ball to Garrett Crochet. And Crochet, maybe not Crochet. Crochet is the bat, more of a backhand guy. Michael Kopech is the guy I was thinking about. Long reliever. At this point, the White Sox fans are probably wishing that they had Michael Kopech in the starting rotation. Mm-hmm. I think it was the right move for Tony LaRusa to keep him in the bullpen, just in terms of building that arm back up to full strength. And I, I do think Tony's got an eye on the future as well as the present. Um, but Kopech is a guy that in three, six, nine ERA in 61 innings, he's been very much up and down, very much streaky, but man, when he is on, he is borderline untouchable. And that's the type of guy you want to ride throughout the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So if there's one player on the White Sox pitching staff, whether it's starting or bullpen, that I think the White Sox need to have succeed these last few weeks of September and October, I think it's Michael Kopech because he's the bridge guy. He can mm-hmm. be your middle reliever. He can be that do-it-all bullpen arm that we see so often in, in playoff baseball now. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think I've thought that he's just kind of uh, one of those White Sox guys that you know the fans will, will love. Um, like on a, a postseason run, just kind of one of those fan favorite guys. If he goes out there and succeeds, um, he's got the best stuff in the rotation. Um, like and like you said, if he's on, I think he's he's our best, most talented pitcher, um, starting or bullpen. And you're absolutely right. I would have loved to see him be more of a starter, start a few more games, even if it's only you know three, four innings. Um, still, he's been more of like a two inning uh, middle reliever. But if that was, you know, two innings starting, maybe three innings starting every once in a while, that would give me a little more faith going forward. But I do agree that I think it's been best this year to keep him in the bullpen. Um, And you're absolutely right. If we can get two innings out of him, um, whether it be game one, if the start goes bad, he's that type of guy who can make a bad start, not be that bad. Or um, he's been, especially lately, last few times he's gone out, kind of been one of those guys who can make an okay start you know, turn bad quick too. So if he's on his A game, I think that um, that'll really make the bullpen what it needs to be for this team. Um, Cause we've, you know, when we have starting pitching issues, then that's when our team is not doing well. When we have people on the IL, those are our definite uh, worst streaks. And 
for a lot of the season, we didn't have the bats in our lineup that could afford to have bad pitching. And luckily that's when our pitching was best. So um, if those guys can be healthy, and unfortunately that is a, a concern of mine too. We've said all year, you know, once they're healthy for the postseason or they're healthy for the postseason, but it's a legit concern that someone's not going to be healthy for the postseason. Like this, it's just, nothing's ever perfect. Yeah, exactly. So we can say if this is the case, but we're going to need someone like Kopech to step up and eat some of those innings because I honestly don't think it's the case that we get our dream case scenario as far as health um, throughout the entire playoffs. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I definitely concur. Um, I don't know. The, the White Sox are a tricky case. I think that I, I don't want to say the team lacks an edge, but the team seems like it lacks an edge. Mm-hmm. especially at this point, because they've had this firm grasp on the AL Central for so long. That's not to say that they're showing up to the ballpark every day and mailing it in, but I do think if there's a little pressure from the outside in terms of maybe a wild card contender in the division, maybe a, a team in the division that's within 10 games, I think that maybe adds an extra dimension of edge to this team, a little bit more sense of urgency, because what they've been sitting on the magic number one for three days now, mm-hmm. maybe four days, and they're four and six in their last 10. Not great. Not great. Yeah. And you'd think of all days, clinching day would give them an edge, but here they are losing on the road at Detroit. And generally they're they've been a a, a team that's hung tough this year. Mm-hmm. But regardless, I mean good teams team get the job be. done. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's unfortunate, definitely. Um, <laughs> I guess we've kind of talked about it too because they just don't, you know, they just don't have that competitor that's giving them that extra edge. Every team right now seems like is playing meaningful baseball. I mean, as we're recording this, we're both watching Giants, Padres, um, two meaningful games. Padres maybe out of the playoff contention at this point. Unfortunately, though. They played super bad so far. Honestly, they're closer to a 500 team than they are to a playoff team. Um, and they've had some drama too. There's videos, um, you know, mid game earlier this week of Machado, Manny Machado, and Fernando Tatis Jr. getting into a, you know, very heated verbal altercation, having to be separated. Um, you can see Machado saying stuff like, you know, it's not fucking about that, or it's not about this, or it's not about you. Um, He made some comments afterwards about it too, just saying like, you know, we're heated. We're trying to win a world series. Fernando's trying to win an MVP, but it seems like that. I mean, what a sad story for the Padres because they were everybody's favorite to, you know, come out of that NL West for sure. And definitely looking like a team that could uh, dethrone the Dodgers as the the champs of that division. That's not the case. They're not going to make the playoffs. And honestly, their superstars are feuding. Their coach says he hasn't lost the 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 locker room. I don't know if I believe that. Um, what do you think about the Padres as they stand right now? I don't think that the Tatis Machado thing is a big deal. I really don't. Sure, it's a big deal because it happened in the public eye. And anytime you have an altercation in the dugout, it's a really bad look, especially yeah. when you go on the road and play a team head-to-head that you're in the wild card race with. That's a great opportunity for the Padres. They really could have turned the tide if they won two out of three or swept the Cardinals. But the exact opposite happened. They got swept. 
So first of all, frustrations are going to boil over. You're playing like shit. Everybody's going to be in a shitty mood. If Fernando Tatis is out in center field dropping routine fly balls, Manny Machado is going to get in his face and be mm-hmm. like, hey, you know, screw your head on, kid. What are you doing? Machado has played important baseball before. He, I don't. I, I think this is the best team he's ever been on, outside of that Dodgers team that he played on for a few months. Yeah. At the deadline, and and what was that? 2017, 2018. 18, I believe. 18, yes. Uh, he played on some good Orioles teams, and he made it to the World Series with the Dodgers in 2018. So he gets it. So I, I don't think this is a bad thing. I think this is a good thing for Tatis. This shows that. Machado is maybe that leader in the clubhouse that this team needs. However, like you said, the ship is kind of sailed. You get swept on the road in St. Louis. It feels like the season is over. I'm ready to write off the Padres. I'm heck I'm ready to write off everybody except St. Louis because <laughs> I mean, Cincinnati's four and a half back San Diego's five and a half back. Sure. Things can kind of turn on a dime, but the Cardinals keep playing like, like they are right now, I and mean, they control their own destiny, flat out, straight yeah. up. They control their own destiny. If they start losing, maybe they'll lose gri- that grasp on the on the wild card, but I, I just don't see it happening because they've been in this spot so many times before, and San Diego is young. They're inexperienced. They have not been in this spot before. I don't think that they've lost the locker room or clubhouse by any means, and I think – this confrontation between Machado and Tatis honestly could be a a good thing in the long run Mm -hmm. because Tatis in a lot of ways has shown a lot of immaturity, not in terms of his celebration, but just largely in terms of poor defense. I don't think that has to do with a lack of effort. Maybe it's, it's a lack of discipline. Maybe it's just a lack of focus. I mean, young Starlin Castro comes to mind for me. You know, maybe turn it around in the middle of a pitch. Maybe it's not that bad. Sure. I, I don't think it's that bad. But he's made a lot of really bad plays at shortstop, and then he gets moved to the outfield, and he's made some poor plays out there. He's a great athlete. I think his defense will improve over the next few years. He's still very young. But if San Diego wants to contend next year, it's those little things that add up to the big things that need to get straightened out. Yeah, you absolutely nailed that, Larry. Like, took the words out of my mouth because I just love that shit. I love the fight. I think baseball needs drama like that. I think it's – Yes. I feel like just as a kid, I don't know if it's just me, like, being – or, like, just, you know, thinking back on the past and romanticizing the past, but I feel like there was just more of those cool moments, those dramatic moments in sports in general. I feel like there was more, like, controversial – um post-game interviews and stuff like that where people weren't so afraid to like show emotion or like answer a question truthfully um so like Javi you know talking about the the reason why they're doing the thumbs down like I love that shit and then Manny you know being okay with with fighting with Fernando in the the dugout obviously it's not what you want to see but they need something like that I think this season is maybe um humbling is probably a good word to use for it um, for Tatis because the talent's there. Um, and when you said he's maybe just undisciplined or unfocused, I think that could, you know, exactly be it because and he can make any play presented in front of him. And when you can do that, you know that, you know, he, he knows he can make any play plus some. So knowing that, obviously, I'm sure that's that lack of focus then um, 
probably comes into uh, consideration then in those routine plays, like the the center field drop that you were just talking about. Um, I think, you know, missing the playoffs, if you're looking at his career in 10 years, I think that could be a, a good thing for this team and for Fernando personally, because I think, um, you know, he just needs some sort of humbling. He came up last year with, with San Diego. Um, well, didn't come up last year, but, you know, was really good, made the playoffs, had a really good team, really good playoff run. And um, they just, I guess, as a team, as a whole, obviously we see now they weren't ready to contend and, um, you know, compete for an actual World Series. And it kind of just fizzed out. Uh, but I think that I think that'll be good in the long run. Maybe not for this team, but Fernando, I don't know. I don't know. I'm interested to see how the Padres will kind of get out of this to see if they stick with their like super aggressive trade, anything you can to get the, you know, talented players right now, or they might, you know, be kind of forced to put that on a halt because of the moves that they have made in the past. So um, definitely a team that I'll be keeping up with um, and, and paying close attention to as a fan of baseball in the next few years. I think they've kind of run out of money to spend because they signed Tatis that massive extension and Manny Machado to a massive free agent deal. And then I, I think that's another reason that people kind of freaked out over this whole deal is that, oh, my God, these guys are supposed to be the Padres' three, four hitters for the next 10 years at least, and they're pissing at each other. But, yeah. I mean, they came out in a, a pregame press conference. They're like, yeah, we're fine. You know, maybe, maybe they're beefing on the inside. You know, you can always come out and fake stuff like that. But I, I really do think that that is a veteran speaking to a young guy that's a it's mm -hmm. a leader to not a follower but a leader to a, a somebody who needs leadership right mm -hmm. not that Tatis is lost but you look at the course of his career it's a meteoric rise he's gotten to the big league so fast he's always been the guy he's been the number one top prospect he's been the son of a major leaguer he knows that he is that good and he's going to be that guy. And for a lot of people, that's a good thing. For Fernando Tatis, that's, it's his identity, which I think baseball in general has kind of embraced. But there is no way to simulate September and October baseball. And he's never played in a playoff race like he has this year. And he's never played in a 162-game season like he has this year. Mm -hmm. Last year was completely different. I'm not saying that the Dodgers World Series title or any of the results from last year shouldn't have counted, but it's a completely different animal when you're only playing half as many games because you're only showing up, showing up to the ballpark on half as many days and more teams are getting into the playoffs. The Padres under last year's format are in the playoffs. Yeah. So it's, it's different. It's a different animal. And I understand that it's frustrating and the Padres should be frustrated by all means because they've underperformed. Yeah, disappointing because obviously, like you said, they've paid so much money for these guys, um, been super flashy in the market, getting any of the players that they seemingly wanted to. Um, and it just kind of seems like there's not going to really be a climax with it all. It's just not going to come to what they had uh, thought that it would, which is uh, pretty unfortunate. Uh, but I really want to get into some not inter-team beef, but some inter-division beef that just kind of happened recently recently. So yesterday, 
Uh, there's a play at home play between the Blue Jays and the Rays where Alejandro Kirk, the catcher of the Blue Jays, his uh, game plan card falls out of his wristband uh, at the at the you know home plate. Kiermaier was out. And then at, you know, sitting on the ground, he sees this card and grabs it for himself. Now has all the information on um, the pitching plans, how they're going to approach, um, you know, whatever info would be on one of those cards that a, the catcher holds. And um, so then today, Rays go on to eventually clinch. But in that, that eighth inning, when the game was already out of reach, Kiermaier gets drilled square in the back, right between the numbers. Um, I was watching it live clearly seemed I didn't even realize it was Kiermaier at first but you know seemed super intentional just off the eye look and um, you know pitcher gets ejected did not expect any of that to happen because that's just something that you don't really hear about like grabbing um, information I don't even know that's like I don't know I don't know if I've ever heard something like that happening Um, and I don't want to say at all that hitting him was justified because I think that's the worst way in professional sports to go about, um, an issue that you have is, you know, purposely hurting someone else. But I do feel like it was kind of, kind of jitsy of, uh, Kiermaier to do that. What do you think? I don't know. I think it was only a matter of time before something like this happened, right? Because from catchers to now pitchers, at least at the collegiate level, everybody's wearing whatever you want to call it. A wrist playbook is kind of what I refer to it as, or a signed card on their wrist and defenders have note cards in their back pockets for shifts and all that stuff. So, you know, baseball is starting to move in the direction of football where it's not exactly, of course, a full playbook, but I mean, you've got sets that you run on defense and you've got, sets of pitches that you use and sequences for certain hitters. So it does not surprise me that something like this has happened. And honestly, it surprises me that it hasn't happened earlier because catchers just kind of have them hanging there. Sometimes catchers have them on their belt loops and other things like that. And it's just another way for people to try and get a competitive advantage is steal the signs and, and look at those cards but it's pretty hard to do because small tax. And if, if you're at the plate, you know, what are you going to do? Turn around and, and look at the signs. I don't know anybody who ever does that, you know, it's against the baseball rules, I would unwritten know. rules, of course. Um, and, and we all know that those are, those are the law. So first I, I just want to say that this video is hilarious oh, yeah. because <laughs> the plate, the plate, Kiermaier is out by a mile yeah, and then he slides and he's got his foot on home plate, and then he looks down, and he sees this card, and he's like, oh, shit. He just picks it up. He's like, whoop de doo here we go, going back to the dugout. And I really don't think he realizes that that's not his. I, you can tell by the video he didn't really, like, follow it out of Kirk's wrist playbook. It just kind of dropped there. And he went on the record. This is either a, the truth or a very elaborate <laughs> well-thought-out bullshit answer. He said, when I saw it there, I saw a piece. The play happened so fast, honestly. I didn't know what it was, whether it was mine or not. They're all pretty similar. And as I picked it up, I realized it wasn't mine. I never even looked at it. I'll say that. But at the same time, I'm not going to drop it or hand it back. I hope they – I don't know what their thoughts were about it. At the time, I saw it on the ground and picked it up nonchalantly. So, I don't know. He, he was 
you can tell just by the, the transcription of the quote. I didn't see the video. A lot of dashes, you know, trying to yeah. gather his thoughts. I don't know. I, I believe I believe Kevin because he said, you know, I keep my outfielder position card in my pocket. And that's fair enough. You know, you slide mm-hmm. feet first, good chance something might fall out. So first, I'm surprised this hasn't happened sooner. And maybe it has. Maybe it's just has not been public or, or as well documented. I think the Blue Jays kind of have the right to be pissed, but at the same time, it happens. You got to adapt, and that's just kind of how things work. I, I don't think the reaction was granted or warranted to Drew Kier- Kiermeyer, but oh well. Yeah, I. it seems like one of those things where it maybe does cross the line or maybe should be considered crossing the line of – unwritten versus that just seems like you shouldn't be able to do that i don't know because that i mean that is such crucial information like if you know that they see you as a swing at a high fastball type of guy then you you know you just have that idea that that's how they want to pitch to you and i feel like that is just if that's what the card was and if that's you know the information that they were able to get um you know what i saw was that it was returned eventually to um the blue jays so i don't know how long that that you know that they had that card for so it just seems to me like yeah definitely a a bad move on kiermaier's part whether i believe him or not i don't know i feel like you should probably i I agree with you that during the play and like if you watch the play back it it totally looks like you know the play happens he kind of looks down sees that there's something that shouldn't be there picks it up and goes you know goes along his way but i feel like him saying i'm not going to return that I feel like that's something that should probably get returned. Like I get, I don't know if I was in that, if I was in that situation, I don't think I would return it because I don't know. It just seems like, yeah, obviously that's nice information, but but you're in the MLB. It's obviously something that's going to get seen. It happened right at home plate. And yeah, I I do just want to say what a dumb decision to go on that. Like even Taylor Oscar Hernandez in right field didn't even think he was going, took like five extra steps and then, and then threw the ball. Like, what was he thinking? Maybe he was just. Maybe he knew that would happen. Maybe that was the plan all along to get the 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 pitcher card from him. That's why he went. But yeah, I guess I just don't know how this should be resolved. Obviously, not hitting someone. I don't think any like disciplinary action needs to be taken um, because obviously you kind of got to trust what what yeah. he says. Big trust. Um, yeah, big trust. Of course, players represent. But um, yeah, absolutely. I I do disagree with it. I would say. I think the tweet of the situation winner is john Heyman here clearly (laughs) he says and i quote ray's announcer keeps saying that once kirk dropped his scouting report on the field it's fair game for kiermeyer to take it what if a 100 bill fell out of kirk's pocket would it be fair game for kiermeyer to take two what if it was a family portrait he gets (laughs) that too it's like john man what are we doing like First $100 bill, I think that's probably an apt comparison to an average person, right? But, yeah, like, right. a family portrait. <laughs> if I'm walking down the street behind Lucas, he takes out his wallet and, you know, his picture of, of his dog or his girlfriend or his wonderful mother falls out, and I pick it up, I don't get any sort of competitive advantage out of that, right? You know, I, I'm, right. I'm like, hey, Lucas, here, take this back. $100 bill, and Lucas is a stranger? Sorry, pal. I'm <laughs> I'm taking my one hundred dollar bill because that's an advantage for me. It's very much a 
I don't know, ethics question that kind of goes beyond baseball and is kind of a person to person basis. Mm-hmm. I know if, if that was me in that situation, I'd probably give something like that back. But in the heat of competition, these are two competitive playoff teams. The Rays are in first place. They've been ahead of a lot of competitive teams in the AL East. I'm taking any competitive edge that I can. And my last thought on this, it all comes down to execution anyways, right? Yeah. If, if the Rays have the scouting report, so what? Blue Jays still got to go out there and, and pitch, right? They've got the scouting report in their head. They know how to pitch these guys. If a guy is bad at hitting the inside fastball, and if you throw him the inside fastball, chances are he's not going to magically know how to hit the inside fastball. Mm-hmm. And that's a bad example because, you know, inside fastball is a pretty easy pitch to hit for most major leaguers. But everybody's got their hot and cold zones. And so if you execute pitches properly, even if the other team knows the signs, even if the batter turns around and looks and, and sees, oh, here comes a curveball, you still got to throw it for a strike, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, they obviously know at that point we're in the late stages of September. These pitchers have been pitching them probably a similar way. You know, they've had the information on them at this point. It's not like they don't know that they can't hit a high fastball if that's the case. It's not just like information that only the other team could possibly have. Yeah, you you probably read that card and say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You know, so <laughs> I guess um, thinking about it that way, it doesn't seem uh, as bad. And I was Damn, just, they really got me, huh? <laughs> yeah. But it had me thinking the only thing I can think that is um, – I don't even know if you could call it comparable, but it had me thinking of when uh, Yadier Molina, the Cardinals were playing the Rays. He went out and uh, while he was playing against his brother, Jose Molina, he went out and put a a package of like donuts or something like his favorite, his favorite donuts or something pregame at home plate. That was a, that was something that I think was welcome to be taken and, uh, or taken and keeping from the opposition, but. Taken and kept. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. The word, the words just struggle sometimes. It's, it's late. I understand, you know, it's the sign stealing, man. What a, I don't know. I, I've always been, this is another deep baseball conversation that I, I don't know if we're going to dig into, but it's just, there's a fine line between cheating and finding a competitive edge. Yeah. Right. It, it kind of goes back to, I'm sure this is a phrase that you heard at Belvedere, good old Belvedere high school. I, I think the football team said it you know, never cut corners, but always, always cheat, you know, not cheat in the literal sense, but like cheat your way, you know, find any little competitive advantage that you can find. And I think maybe, you know, when it falls right into your lap, what what else are you supposed to do? Yeah. And, you know, the position they were in too, Tampa still needed that game would have clinched it for them. Um, Obviously went on today to do it, but, you know, Blue Jays also fighting for, for playoff spot and playoff position. Um, Tampa obviously wanted that game. So tensions are high. And I think, you know, looking at the surface, like I said, it seems like you shouldn't do that or you shouldn't be able to do that. But if I was in that same position, I, I can't say that I wouldn't have done the same thing myself. Um, it was obviously big, uh, for the blue Jays too, winning that game, uh, just because they're in such a good race right now, currently half a game back from that second wild card. And it's really just the AL East. Um, we've talked about how hot the Cardinals are, but slept on hot team right now. Boston's won seven straight and now are, uh, you know, in 
hold of that, that, that wild card spot, two games ahead of the Yankees or uh, two games ahead of the Yankees for the second one. So they got a bit of a cushion uh, is what I'm trying to say. Toronto's going to have to win some games here if they want to play playoff baseball. And that just adds to that competitive advantage. You know, obviously they weren't the team to do it, but both teams fighting for something here. It seems like each of the last three or four podcast episodes, it's a new team that's hot in the AL East. First, it was the Yankees. You know, they make all those acquisitions at the deadline. They win 13 straight games. They're in the heat of the race. They're in the thick of things. And it's Boston where all the fans are up in arms. Like, okay, when are we going to decide we want to be a playoff team today? Well, I think Boston's finally decided that they want to be a playoff team. And, And Toronto was the team kind of there in the middle, frankly. I didn't realize that the Red Sox had been playing so well uh, as somebody who hasn't been able to really sit down and watch a ton of good baseball over the last few weeks, uh, just living the the college life that I do. Um, Boston, man, they're heating up. Kyle Schwarber, he's a clutch player. You get him going in October, he's hard to stop. Uh, so I like Boston's chances. And like you said, Toronto, I, I think the whole card deal is – looms larger because now they're on the outside looking in that's a big series on the road in tampa playing the first place team in your division yeah absolutely yeah and that's so funny to think about i mean you're absolutely right it was the yankees on their big win streak then we talked about toronto now boston all going on these crazy winning streaks and i think you know it's easy to say whoever's hottest is best but i think that boston honestly is the worst of the three teams. I think that they all have the bats. I think they all have the offense to make them good teams. You know, anyone's going to be hot on any given day. Maybe, I don't know. I think Toronto has equally deep a lineup as Boston. I was going to say, I I agree. I I was going to maybe give them the edge, but I don't think that I could do that. Um, And I think that they, Chris sale is huge. A lot of people made the jokes about, um, you know, just getting Chris sale back at the deadline um isn't going to do it but honestly he's he's pitched very well and it's been a great great part of why they are winning and on this current streak but I still think that maybe Toronto's pitching staff top to bottom could be better and good enough to make me at least think that they're the better team as far as who's going to get that playoff spot um obviously it all depends on who's going to be hot you know we still got 10 11 games left for these teams Who's going to go on the streak now? Is it going to be the Yankees? Is it going to be Toronto taking that from Boston? Or is Boston going to hold that two-game cushion? Definitely interested to see. I think Toronto's the better team between the two, though, and the team that I would least like to see as a White Sox fan in the playoffs. I definitely agree. Uh, We've said it so many times. I don't want to play on the road at the Rogers Center in the playoffs. That's just not a place you want to play. Those bats, they're hot. They're experienced. You've got a nice mix of you know, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, and guys like George Springer that know how to get the job done in the playoffs. That's the right combination. You know, you look at a, a team, a team's makeup, 2016 Cubs is a great example. You got a lot of veterans, got a lot of young guys who maybe don't have that past experience of, of playoff losses or not as many at least in their head when they go into these things. And a lot of that time, that short memory or no memory at all is, is a good thing. So I, I do think Toronto is, is better than Boston. I think on paper, the Yankees are probably the best team in that division, but record wise, execution wise, it's been Tampa Bay all season long. And every time we talk about the East, we, we kind of forget about Tampa Bay low key. Um, but I, I do think that's because if you toss 
any of those four teams in a playoff series against each other, it's really, really hard to pick a favorite. Yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, I don't know that I've ever thought that Tampa Bay was the best team in that division, although they've performed like it the whole year. So you can say that I'd be wrong there, but I just, I think when it comes down to it, like I'd rather face Tampa in one game and try and maneuver through their less powerful lineup, but maybe better baseball. I don't know what it is that makes Tampa Bay so baseball good. mojo. Yeah. Mojo, right. They got a certain vibe, just this energy it's, that wins them. Hey, St. Louis has devil magic. Tampa Bay <laughs> is devil Ray magic. <laughs> there you go. That's perfect. Yeah. But I think I'd much rather take the devil Ray magic <laughs> and then fiddle with the devil. Yeah. But yeah, because I think every one of those teams I'd rather face Tampa, maybe Boston, just because I think that um, if you can get to the pitching, then that's like your best chance of beating any of those teams. But hmm, interested to see that. It's a shame that one of those teams isn't going to make the playoffs. Honestly, you can make a, a good playoff just between those four teams. Just have a 2-2. Yeah. Winners play the winners. And, I mean, that's how you decide how the division pans out. Let's do that. You just want to – Want to give that fourth spot in the East to, you know, you know maybe in replacement of the AL Central spot. We gotta realign. We gotta realign some of these divisions. The White Sox have been relegated out of the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Maybe I don't like that. Maybe maybe you just take the best records. And at yeah. this point, if the White Sox were in the AL East, they would be half a game ahead of Toronto, or I think tied with Toronto. That's uh. Yeah, they'd be half a game ahead of Toronto. That's not great, partner. Not great. So we'd be tied. Well, we'd be tied with the Yankees, and we have a better winning percentage, so we would be in the playoffs. So that is great, partner. <laughs> You'd be playing in the wild card. So, yeah, I don't know. that. I, I do think that there's something to be said. Maybe this is just me and my old-fashioned baseball beliefs. There's something to be said for winning a division, mm-hmm. even if it's a, a dog-water division like the AL Central this year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely right. And unfortunately, none of those teams are going to – or between the you know the three that we're talking about here, Rays have obviously kind of clinched their playoff spot already, pretty much clinched that division. Um, so maybe that's a little bit of an edge we can give to the, the White Sox. I don't know if that'll mean anything going in, but you're absolutely right. I think it does speak something about, um, you know, winning that divisional battle. Just looking at some crazy stats here. Toronto's 171 run differential. It's the third best in the AL behind Houston and, and Tampa. That is ridiculous. Yankees only plus 34, Boston plus 84. It's a big difference to, um, you know, still be on the outside looking in. Yeah, and you look at their expected win-loss, which is is largely based on run differential. Mm-hmm. Um, their expected win-loss record is 93-59. and 59. That would put them in second place behind Tampa Bay by a half game. So this Blue Jays team is really good, and it would be almost a statistical anomaly if they did not make the playoffs. That goes to show you – Anything can happen in baseball, and that's why you play the games. I will say, I think a storyline that really has not been talked about a lot is the fact that the Blue Jays have been playing in three home stadiums this year. You start in Dundee, 
then you go to Buffalo, then finally you can play in Toronto. And that definitely has an effect. I don't know how you quantify that, Mm -hmm. but it definitely has an effect. I think, yeah, just kind of would give them a little more momentum. Maybe my initial thought is, you know, having a playoff game at their, their home stadium, their actual home stadium. um, If they do manage to get that, uh, I think that'd only be a bonus, you know, because especially coming off of 2020 where there were no fans at any games in any city. um, Then I think that that just would be a positive, you know, finally getting fans back in a regular stadium game. They haven't had a home playoff game in, you know, in a while to begin with. So that'd be another thing. Um, Just adds to another reason why I wouldn't want to play there if I'm any other team, honestly. Yeah, definitely. Those, those fans are hungry, man. And they get loud. I mean, you hit a home run, you got that goal horn going. It's uh, it's intense. And I think Toronto would definitely benefit from having that playoff-type atmosphere down the stretch at home because I, I think they would really, really be tough to beat. Um, let me look up their home road split. So at home, they're 43-31, and 42-36 and 36 on the road. So not much of a difference there, but I imagine that that home record would be a lot better if they played the whole season in Toronto just because – I mean, heck, had Vlad Guerrero even played a home game in Canada until this year? Or am, I, or am I tripping? No, he probably – he did 2019, right? Okay, yeah. I, I think – let me look it up. We'll get the research department on it. <laughs> here, we'll have Will look it up for us. Oh, wait. Okay. Will's not oh, here again. Thanks, I dude. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, d- he did play in 2019 full season so yeah i was i was misremembering but no less i mean you go a full season plus without playing at home that's that's tough tough, especially if you get your family in canada and i think actually you maybe found the best way to quantify that i think um you know them playing at three different home parks is probably a big reason why they don't have a great split between um their record on the on the road as opposed to home they're kind of even because even you know half their home games weren't even necessarily home games so uh, I think that if anything that probably affected that a little bit yeah definitely well at the end of the day Marcus down pro Blue Jays podcast we're rooting for you up north (laughs) we'll uh we'll see what happens though definitely I feel like a White Sox Blue Jays uh playoff series that'd be about as entertaining as it gets for me Yes, I, I would concur with that. Wild card game in Toronto, give it to me, man. I want that so bad. So bad. That that would be electric. That's appointment viewing right there. So mark it down. Um, last segment here, Lucas. Not segment, but headline. Uh, Cubs, they're gone. Yeah, well, we saw it coming. Uh, it was more a question of when and not if, but they have officially been eliminated from postseason contention. Uh, video today I saw actually right before we hopped in after the game Tom Ricketts promising a fan that the Cubs will be good next year Uh, that's not a headline that I'm going to buy because that's going to take a lot to make them a good baseball team Um, obviously nice for Ricketts to say that and get the morale up because you know the Cubs are all about morale but yeah, I just don't see that happening. I think um, maybe you'll have a few bright spots, maybe a few young prospects come up and uh, get an idea of where the team's heading in the future. But fortunately, I think the Cubs are 
more than a year away. And I think that, I guess that means Ricky's a liar, right? I don't know. I, uh, we know my opinions on that fella. <laughs> he brought the, brought the Cubs a world series. I mean, come on, small soft spot for him that has now almost disappeared. Um, he did not bring the Cubs, the world series. He hired the right people, which of course there's something to be said for that. Sure. Sure. But come on at this point, he's spent so much money on Wrigley field and all these renovations around the stadium and, you know, charging out the ass for ticket prices at a stadium that doesn't have parking and is a pain in the ass to go to. Don't get me wrong. Wrigley field is my favorite place in the entire world to watch a baseball game, but Holy shit. Is it a real pain to get there and park and have a game day experience there? The experience is unlike anything else in baseball, but it is, it's tough, man. Hurts the wallet. You know, you really got to, it's inconvenient to mm-hmm. say the least. Um, and they've spent so much money on that and other things where I don't know. I don't know if they've got enough money to be competitive next year. If they go out, resign Chris Bryant, sign some pitchers. If Frank Schwindel keeps hitting like he is, if Patrick Wisdom hit, keeps hitting like he is, I don't see a reason that the Cubs couldn't put together some sort of money ball type solution. Yeah. You know, with, with the pieces they have in place, you know, they've got some cornerstones, but that's making a lot of assumptions that Frank the Tank keeps playing like he's out of a video game. <laughs> and Patrick Wisdom has another good year. And Kyle Hendricks keeps pitching well. You need a lot of things to go your way. There are a lot of things that are out of the Cubs' control that I don't think will add up for a competitive team next year. I think wild card at best, but that's uh, neither here nor there. Not up to me, I guess. Uh, the one thing that jumps out to me, the hypocrisy of the Ricketts family and, and the Cubs organization, is they had the uh, notorious Connor McGregor at Wrigley Field. You got this fucking Irishman who doesn't even know the words to take me out to the ball game. The fucking ballpark. Yeah, the fucking ballpark. <laughs> and he throws the worst first pitch since 50 cent. <laughs> and he doesn't, he doesn't know what the hell is going on. And here's Conor McGregor, this sterling reputation, of course, <laughs> you know, just nothing but a good guy by all accounts gets invited back to Wrigley field, you know, gets the, the broadcast booth treatment does the seventh inning stretch. You still can't have Sammy Sosa back. You still can't have Sammy Sosa in the building. Sammy Sosa's done so much wrong. He, he hasn't paid for his transgressions of corking his bat and using steroids. <laughs> Look, you know, maybe I don't think Sammy Sosa should be in the Hall of Fame. I don't think Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. It doesn't mean that they can't be honored by their teams for their accomplishments and kind of what they did for baseball in general. It is ludicrous that the Cubs have not had Sammy Sosa back. It is so ridiculous. At this point, it's comical that you're having – Connor McGregor, a hothead, an all-around kind of an idiot, uh, a violent guy in, in a violent sport, sure, but just not, you know, I, I don't need to run through the laundry list of, of his problems. But you have him and not Sammy Sosa. I mean, come on. Yeah, like what is – I don't – what's the harm in in having Sammy Sosa? None, the none. Hey, guess what? You sell tickets. It helps exactly. the bottom line. It helps exactly. the bottom line. 
so we can go out and maybe sign like a free agent next year. Now is the time when they should be doing something like that, getting the fans to say, hey, like we don't we're not putting out the best baseball, but there's still reasons to be a Cub fan. Like, I feel like Cubs fans, they honestly are some of the best fans in baseball. That's I mean, they go out, they show out even at these games by the thousands, you know, obviously. And and why not just take like a fan base approach to this and do what you can to just. Um, you know, please the fans. It's not going to cost you a bunch of money to have Sammy Sosa or, you know, do something for your team or just show relation. Like that is someone that you should be praising for what he did to Cubs fans. Like that's, you know, those are the people that, I don't know, it just seems like you should be appealing to that, um, to that player and his fans. You know, there's a lot of Sammy Sosa fans. We've talked that, we've talked about that before on here that there's a lot of Cubs fans that that's the best Cub player that they've seen, arguably, you know, that's, I mean, he put up numbers that we haven't seen in the MLB recently. So it, it's crazy to me that a team in their situation um, isn't, it just seems like they're not doing what they can to appeal to the fans, doing what they can to appeal to their own fans. Um, and it, it just baffles me. It, it really does baffle me. Uh, it gets old. Yeah, I can, I can assume um that for a Cubs fan I'm sure uh, and while we're talking about them Larry I want to ask you a question I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here and I, okay. I will have a follow-up next week but what is what's one thing now that you know the season's over you're not making the playoffs what is one thing that that you may watch for or may look for or kind of want to see from the Cubs as an organization um in the last couple of weeks here no excuses okay honestly I mean Sure, a lot of that is just public perception. But you look at the team on paper at the start of the year. Sure, that's a core that hadn't really done anything since 2016. You know, you make three straight NLCSs, 2015, 16, 17. But I think it's poor. It's on the front office. It's on the ownership. And it's also on the players for failing to execute that team should have done more. That team should have won another NL pennant at the very least. At the very least, Chris Bryant slumped. Anthony Rizzo didn't stay healthy the entire time. He wasn't very consistent. The pitching staff was up and down. Jake Arrieta's 2015-2016 seasons were a bit of a fluke. Uh, John Lester got old. John Lackey retired. Sure, things happened. But if you win a World Series with a team and a roster like that, you should do more. And I don't want to see this team come out and say, we're rebuilding. We're retooling. We've got talent in the minor leagues. We don't want to go out and sign a shortstop. Dom, director of morale, he, he keeps spitting facts on Twitter. He had a great point, and he said that a team can never have enough talent. Who cares if you've got middle infielders in the minor leagues? Go out there and sign a player that wants to come play for the Cubs if you can get them at the right deal, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody is willing to take a discount to come back and play in Chicago, don't pass that up, go out there and throw money at Chris Bryant, go out there and throw money, maybe at Anthony Rizzo, maybe not Javier Baez, but you know, go out there and throw money at guys that are going to help make the team better. You don't need to build a world series contender. You just need to be in that realm. You just need to be in that area. You need to be competitive because again, you never know what can happen especially in this day and age, if you crunch the numbers enough, if you trust your scouting department, 
if you find some diamonds in the rough, like Frank Schwindel, Patrick Wisdom, you never know what could happen. And I don't give a flying fuck that you've got top prospects in the minor leagues. Heck, the Cubs didn't even have one top 100 prospect in the minor leagues. You're going to tell me that that's good enough. You're going to settle for that. We're going to say, okay, we're going to rebuild. We're going to hope that a few of these lottery tickets kind of pan out. Sure, I think a few of those prospects they got in some of those deals are, are good, are legit. I think they'll pan out. But you can never bet on that. You can never bet on that. And for a team like the Cubs, they should be right up there with the Yankees and the Dodgers and the Red Sox spending every year. There's no reason that the Cubs shouldn't be competitive. Yeah, you. I mean, you, you nailed it, Larry, because that's exactly how I see the Cubs. Like, they should be up there. They have the market. They have you know, the money to, well, you know, that's been in question, but you know, they should, they should have the money um, to be able to get the talent consistently. There shouldn't be years where there's no good name or no good player that you have to look forward to. Um, You know, I think free agency this year, obviously will be telling to um, how they view their own team. Um, and I think if I were a Cubs fan, uh, how you said no excuses, I think I would just want them to be like real. I think you truly have to see like what you have on your team um, and see how you can put out a winning ball ball club because it is a possibility. It's a, you know, the NL Central is by no means a, a, um, like a, a heavy it's not loaded, the NL West. Yeah, it's no, it's no crazy juggernaut division you can go out and win games and there's a lot of teams right now in that division, especially that are kind of in a similar boat where if they go out and spend the money, they, you know, any, everyone has some sort of talent in the minor leagues, go get the players that can win you games now. And absolutely. You nailed it. Make no excuses about it. Yeah. I definitely got a little animated there. Perhaps Will Will's going to love that segment, but it's the truth. And, and even if that means Jed Hoyer coming out and saying, well, I really don't know where we're going. That's fine. At least I know what to expect. Yeah. Um, because I really feel like the Cubs are in this purgatory between a rebuild and a bridge year between competing again with a few right moves, because I don't know this team, even after the deadline has been, I mean, not competitive, but they've won some good team, some good games against good teams. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Pitching's the number one problem. The bats, you know, you can find bats anywhere, but it's all about pitching. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that'll have to be where they make the most moves. I know they made a few smaller names, but really none of their main prospects uh, that they got back in their trades from the big three this deadline were for pitching talent. Um, So I'm interested to see if that'll be free agency or maybe they'll do something like the Angels and draft 20 pitchers (laughs) next draft. Because you, you know you got to build that that pitching rotation and that bullpen. I, I really would prefer if the Cubs did not do that because the way they built the team in 2016, I think, was kind of the perfect way to do it. Right? You kind of stockpile money, you play for position players and trades and the draft. You develop those players in a less injury-prone position in the minor leagues. Pitchers, I don't care how talented they are, they're all wild card. You never know when you're going to blow a UCL uh, pitching in the minor leagues. You know, it could happen any given day. Um, And so those draft picks are a lot riskier than position players. Those trades are a lot riskier 
for pitchers than position players. So I think if Jed were to construct another rebuild, I'd like to see him continue to stockpile position players rather than pitchers. I do think that the Cubs are going to try to be competitive. I think the Nick Madrigal trade was indicative of that. They're making moves for not this year, but the immediate future. Current players, that, yeah. Yes, exactly. That gives me a little bit of hope, but I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, I think that's a great, honest view from a Cubs fan. Yeah, I think you nailed all your points. And I say I never really thought about that, um, but you're right. I feel like uh, lot, making the move for Lackey and Lester, two proven starters who are, you know, you know what you're getting. There's no questions aside from, you know, health, but that's kind of a wild card for any player at any level. Um, and yeah, I think that's a great idea and a great way to look at it. And if that is the case, then I think they did a really good job of starting that um, move in that direction uh, over the offseason. Yeah, I've got my uh, John Lester jersey on today, feeling conflicted. <laughs> but, hey, you know, you can always reminisce, right? Yeah, seriously, you got to. Yes, of course. So uh, how about we uh, we wrap this thing up, uh, a little this date in baseball history? Let's reminisce. Yes, let's reminisce. Things that we remember well. Uh, all things considered, all of these are pretty recent history. Cubs fans will remember this first one real well. Nothing crazy, just, just kind of a uh, not a good memory. But in 1998, with his team ahead 7-5 to five in the bottom of the ninth inning, and the Brewers had the bases loaded, the Cubs were in Milwaukee. Cubs outfielder Brant Brown drops Jeff Jenkins' routine fly ball to left field, allowing three runs to score and the Brewers to walk off the Cubs 8-7 to seven in what was a somewhat of a playoff race. I mean, that, that 98 Cubs team was pretty good. And the infamous error led to an infamous Ron Santo call screaming, no, as, as Pat Hughes describes the play. Um. Yeah, that was a uh, – that's one that, that Cubs fans will remember well. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the call here. I don't know if – Seven to five Cubs, bottom of the ninth. The Brewers have the bases loaded and a 2-2 count on the hitter. Here's the pitch. Swing on, fly ball, left field. Brad Brown going back. Brad Brown. I think that I don't know if you could hear that, Lucas, but yeah, I got most of it. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll can edit it in. I think that encapsulates, you know, Ron Santos so well because he he captured Cubs fans so well, and that's part of the reason why I really enjoyed listening to him growing up. And I only got a few years of him before he passed away, but I mean. Him and, and Pat Hughes, I mean, those guys, that was that was the gold standard for me. I mean, that was that was fantastic. It just makes you yeah. smile every time. Maybe not for, for Cubs that fans is, who remember watching that, but it makes me laugh now. Yeah, that is hilarious. I can I can see a Hawk Harrelson call going that way. I don't have any in particular, but there's been a few times where he's been pretty vocal about the the team not performing well and and um, yeah, that's funny. That's just a, one of those moments where you wish you don't have to make a, a, a call that people will remember, but unfortunately will be one that now we're here talking about it uh, 23 years later. Yes, that was the almost the pinnacle Ron Santo moment 
where it just kind of encapsulates him as a broadcaster perfectly. How about this date, September, what is this? September 23rd, so we're working a day ahead. On this day in 2007, Milton Bradley, noted hothead, is out on the field. He's arguing balls and strikes with home plate umpire Mike Winters, as one does, of course. And manager, Rockies manager, or Padres manager, Bud Black, comes out. He tries to pull Milton Bradley out of the situation, you know, trying to cool down the situation. Milton Bradley spins and tears his ACL. Ooh. Arguing with the umpire. And his own manager. So, how about that? Yeah, how about that? There's some there's a there's some pretty bad injury stories and there's some pretty bad like hothead, notable hothead stories, and that's kind of um like a culmination of the both of the two. I feel like thinking of drama queens in baseball, you think of like Nigel Morgan, Carlos Gomez, um Carlos Zambrano. Carlos Zambrano, yeah. Some a young, just, a young Bryce Harper. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they just have some sort of some edge or some some thought that they I don't know, even know some sort of weird attitude that for some reason kind of goes away with age or maturity. Some players not so much, but yeah, that is so funny that I guess not funny that he tore his ACL, but ironic more that you can do that in a part of baseball that some players just don't ever really have that issue with. You're not some players, you know, you think don't ever argue. They're, you know, for the most part gentlemen of the game. And there's some players that are the complete opposite. Unfortunately, he got the ultimate karma there, but um, yeah, kind of ironic for sure. Yeah, I remember when the Cubs signed Milton Bradley, and uh, I, I would get Vineline Magazine as a kid. You know, it was the official magazine of the Cubs, and he was on the cover that month. And those were those were dark times in, in <laughs> Chicago Cubs baseball, man. Oh God, what a time! Yeah, if that's on your cover of your magazine, then there are better days to come for sure. <laughs> yes, and there were. Lo and behold. Absolutely. So I'll, uh, I'll take it. Yes. Yes, indeed. Happy ending. The <laughs> Cubs Cubs working towards that again. All right. Let's uh, let's land the plane series to watch for this upcoming weekend. That would be 24th, 25th, 26th. Yeah. I'm going to go AL East here. Two competitors, Sunday night baseball, Yankees, Red Sox, classic matchup, historical matchup. And um, this is just one of those races that is perfect for the rivalry, you know, both competing for that same playoff spot. Both have been really good teams all year, up and down, um, you know, kind of meeting at the same point. I've talked about the two lines a few times and they've kind of just evened out here. So we'll see. Uh, this kind of dictates what direction either one of the two teams take off in. Um, but obviously that, that tight playoff race, those two good teams, I know I'll be tuning into every game. Yes. What What's the uh, Robert Frost line? Two roads diverged in a yellow wood. That's uh, yes. the road not taken, of course. I think that's that can describe. Say, yes. Describe some some baseball situations right now. Uh, poetry aside, uh, I'm going Cubs cards. Another classic rivalry. Um, everybody's got their eyes on the Cardinals right now, and they could really solidify themselves i think everybody knows that the cardinals aren't screwing around but they could really solidify themselves as like hey 
you know, this is legit. You go to Wrigley Field, Cubs, Cardinals, that's it's tough to win. I don't have any doubts that they can take three or four from the Cubs in a four-game set, doubleheader Friday. It's going to be a challenge, but you never know. Never know, and, you know, wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to play spoiler to some Cardinals uh, postseason hopes, too, if the kind of the rest of the week kind of pans out in that favor, you know, beat some Cardinals, and then that playoff uh, contention can kind of look differently after the end of that series. So wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if the Cubs kind of ended up on the right side of that. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much the last stand for San Diego and Cincinnati, right? Yeah. So Yeah, it may not even matter after it, but... Yeah. Again, the Cardinals really control their own destiny at this point. And I, I don't see any other scenario than them making the playoffs and winning the wild card game. I will be shocked if seems anything like else it's, happens. It's already written in stone. It's already happened. It kind of seems like that. We've, uh, we've been predicting it, man. We've, we've been on it since before it happened. So I don't know. I don't know. I didn't buy it at first, but now don't be fooled. It's happening. Everybody yeah, get ready. It's it's no Y2K. It's happening. So stock yeah. up on, on those bottled waters. The devil magic's coming in October again. I need to play some bets on them, honestly, because we've literally talked about it, and I feel like it'd be a crime not to. How can we talk about it and know it's coming and not at least make some money off of it? That's how you know you're dealing with the devil. Exactly. Exactly. You're going to be accused of uh, insider sports betting. <laughs> That is one connection that not many people would have if we got some double magic on our side. Huh? Yes, we are clairvoyants <laughs> on uh, the hip iPod. <laughs> we try, we try. I'm, I, I like to say I'm not in the predictions business. I just like to call it as it happens. The prediction where a lot of people lose, or a, a business where a lot of people lose. Exactly. Also known as sports gambling. So yeah, right. the prediction business. Larry, week eight. Going into week nine, this is gonna be a this is gonna be a fun week of baseball to watch. Always is, obviously, but it really comes down to it. I'm excited to talk next week too. See how come uh, some of these series have played out. Uh, we'll see if the AL East maybe has some more clarity to see how that ends, um, and maybe the White Sox will pick up the pace too. Hopefully, they'll clinch by then, huh? Yeah, you know what do you say? The White Sox finish on a winning streak. That'd be nice. That'd be cool. Yeah, like, be- winning baseball in September. I've who never knew? heard of it, but it'd be nice. Yeah, never met her, but who knows? I mean, God, I just can't help but think of the 2011 collapse, I think that was. Oh, God, that's not happening again. Speaking into existence, you know, it's not that bad, not that close, but hopefully we'll, yeah, hopefully we'll have something positive to say next week. The White Sox, yeah, next week is going to be a good White Sox talk episode. I'm speaking that into existence, and you know what? I think every other White Sox talk that we have from this point on, we'll be saying good things. Is next week the week we have a guest? Perhaps, maybe, who knows? Find out next week. Heck, just just tune in, and uh, maybe you'll hear another voice. Hopefully for, for you may be thinking, I guess. I don't know. Larry, I don't mind listening to your voice. Hope you guys don't mind listening to mine. Always a pleasure talking baseball with you, Larry. Um, I think that kind of wraps it up for episode eight. Wow, I'm blushing for those at home. I pride myself and think of myself as a, a man of faith, 
As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. 